We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 412 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, October 3rd. 2022, did you see who was out in full force on Sunday at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas for the Commanders game at the Dallas Cowboys? The co-owner and co-CEO of the Commanders, Dan Snyder, a.k.a. the Danny, a.k.a. Danny Boy. Uh, Oh, he may well have been at other Commanders games this season, but Sunday was the first time this season that Danny was out in full force. He was walking around. He was visible for all to see. He, at one point, was in a photo that was taken that included him, his wife, and fellow Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Tanya Snyder, Commander's team president Jason Wright, and Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones. Dan, Tanya, Jason, (laughs) and Jerry. How is that for a foursome? And did you notice... Dan's hair. Dan has dyed his hair blonde to a degree, has he not? Now, he's not fully blonde, but Dan seems to have added some color to his hair. Maybe all of those months on his super yacht led to the color of his hair being altered by the sun. I don't know. If only Dan could change the fortunes of the football team that he owns as he has apparently changed the color of his hair. Hello and welcome to a Commander's Post Game Show Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Our team is not well. One and three off a 25 10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. The problems are many. The anger and frustration for us as fans already are boiling over. And while things could get better this season, there's a bigger picture. That's impossible to ignore. Where are we and what exactly are we doing here in this year three of the Ron Rivera era? Next segment, I'm going to get into that regarding our commander's head coach. And then I will launch into the game itself. Uh, The offensive line, quarterback Carson Wentz, receiver Terry McLaurin having a mere two receptions. Uh, The penalties. Oh, yes, the penalties. The defense. And a lot more in-depth reaction to and analysis of 
a third consecutive commander's loss are forthcoming. Also on the show, I'll talk plenty of college football from week five. Good stuff from Maryland in a 27-13 win over Michigan State. Uh, More bad offense for Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Navy lost at Air Force 13-10. Virginia Tech got smashed at North Carolina 41-10. Virginia got slammed at Duke 38-17. And I'll hit on Liberty and James Madison. Liberty won at Old Dominion 38-24. JMU blew out Texas State 40-13. Is it possible that Liberty, JMU, and ODU are all better than Virginia Tech and Virginia this season in terms of the top teams in the state of Virginia. I wonder. Uh, I will talk Nationals. They, over the weekend, somehow, some way, got in four games in three days against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park, despite terrible weather here in the Washington, D.C. area. Now, the Nats lost three of the four games. The Nats this season got demolished by the Phillies. The Nats went just 3-16 and 16 against the Phillies in the 2022 regular season, but we did have multiple potential Nats building blocks doing well in the series. And I will talk Orioles. Uh, they, over the weekend, won two or three games at the American League East champion New York Yankees, but the O's were officially eliminated from playoff contention, although the O's have clinched their first winning regular season since 2016. I have some thoughts on all of that and a few other items from this series. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including, by the way, if you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod, if you would like to put the power of the pod to work for you and reach thousands of people every episode. Hit us up. We offer a variety of attractive and affordable packages. Podcast advertising is a lot cheaper than radio advertising. Again, the email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Well, lots of feedback, as you might expect, on the commanders of their loss at the Cowboys. Hey, the black alternate uniforms at least look good, didn't they? I thought they looked good. A tweet from Mike sell at the deadline and clean house. This isn't going anywhere. Maybe they get back to mediocre, but I can't see it being any better than that. Tweet from Charles Mahoney. I think you should dedicate a whole show to Tress Way, the greatest commander. Good idea, Charles. We love Tress. Uh, tweet from I believe in Wentz. Uh, I wonder if uh, I believe in Wentz is about to change that Twitter handle. Anyway, uh, reads the tweet, love Ron as a person, but am now officially on the clean house train. William Jackson up there with the worst free agent signings in team history. Uh, I will talk William Jackson the third coming up. And by the way, you will hear a lot of what Ron had to say during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon. You'll also hear from Carson Wentz from his postgame press conference. A tweet from Sean Warswick. And Don Ron said this was the year to move forward. His words, time to talk about cleaning house. Tweet from Barry. Here's the good news. <laughs> they can reset next year. Lots of strong quarterbacks in the draft. No Wentz on the cap. Will take a few years to rebuild offensive line quarterbacks and linebackers, but there is no other option. Too many mistakes in free agency and draft, and here we are. Don't you love it? Early October, and we're already talking about the quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft, although Barry is right. Uh, The 2023 draft 
is set to be loaded at the quarterback position. Email from Jack L. writes, Jack, Sabah is right. (laughs) Taylor Heineke gets the ball out quick and is very accurate on short passes, and he has pocket presence, can move to extend plays and throw on the run. More so, he is entertaining. Wentz is slow and accurate, does not move, does not extend plays or throw on the run. More so, he is boring. With Heineke, there is, if nothing else, hope, and he is fun to watch. With Wentz, I am at the point that the offense is boring, like watching an opera and seems hopeless. (laughs) Uh, Continues, Jack. Thank you for the very good work that you do. I look forward to your podcast. Well, thank you for that, Jack. Much appreciated. Uh, I will address whether Carson Wentz should be benched in a bit. Uh, But yeah, there is a lot for Ron Rivera to be thinking about right now. That's for sure. And uh, what has happened so far this season with the Commanders, not a good look for Ron Rivera. Well, Ron, of course, is a cancer survivor. Uh, He in 2020 battled skin cancer, what was a squamous cell carcinoma. Did you know that skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States? Uh, The good news is that skin cancer also is among the most curable forms of cancer. Get checked, get screened, and someone who very much can help you with that is Dr. George Verghese. He and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. Yes, free. Call 301-396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the Commanders. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And yes, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings readings, and offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are the DMV's number one outlet for Mohs skin cancer surgery and for superficial radiation therapy, or SRT, which is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. You won't find better, more state-of-the-art, or more comprehensive skin treatment and services than what you can get from Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Early detection and treatment of skin cancer save lives. If you have questions or concerns about your skin, call Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland at 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. Make sure that you tell the Institute that Al Galdi sent you. That's 301-396-3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. You can rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you can write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. The review can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. I have never felt that this season is a make-or-break season for Commander's Head Coach 
Ron Rivera. I have never gotten the sense that his bosses, commanders, co-owners, and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, Dan and Tanya, Tanya and Dan, want to fire Ron. And so I've never felt like his job is on the line this season per se, but I have felt that a crater season, a disaster of a season, could cost Ron his job. Like, I don't think that it's an absolute certainty that Ron will be back as the head coach of the team in a coach-centric approach for the 2023 season if the 2022 season unravels. This is year three for Ron as Washington head coach. He himself has said numerous times that this season needs to be a step-forward season for the team. And what has become really disturbing and off-putting is that, so far, the Commander's 2022 season has been anything but a step-forward season. This has been a step-back season. The Commanders on Sunday afternoon got ripped at the Dallas Cowboys 25-10. The Commanders, through four games in the 2022 regular season now, are just 1-3, and but it's not just that. The Commanders have the worst point differential in the NFL at minus 34. Yes, no NFL team has been outscored by more points in the 2022 regular season so far than the Commanders have been. The team is coming off like a bad team with overrated talent and poor coaching. Now, the good news is that we are only four games into the Commanders' 17-game regular season. And if you know your Ron Rivera history, you know that he traditionally does do his best work in the second halves of seasons. Ron Rivera in his NFL head coaching career in regular season games in November, December, and January is 54 and 38, 16 games above 500. But of course, uh, there's no guarantee that the commanders all of a sudden are going to take off and fly this season. There's no guarantee that the commanders are going to figure it all out and get to being good this season. Uh, That could happen. I hope like heck that that does happen. But who knows if that's going to happen. And, you know, there's a bigger picture conversation to be had of why does that need to happen? Why isn't this team in year three of the Rivera era positioned to where the team hits the ground running and gets off to a fast start and doesn't have to rally to try to make the playoffs? You know, Ron, of course, is in charge of player personnel, right? He is in charge of picking the players and is in charge of coaching the players, This is on him. He is the head coach in the coach-centric approach. And while I think that everyone is sympathetic to that which he took over when he was named as Redskins head coach on New Year's Day 2020, and everyone is sympathetic to all of the stuff that he has had to put up with during his time as Washington head coach, all of that doesn't absolve him of blame. This is year three of his program. The program by now should be better than 1-3 with an NFL worst point differential of minus 34. I do still believe that it will take a crater season, a disaster of a season for Dan and Tanya Snyder to fire Ron Rivera after this season. But you know what? The season so far has been a crater season, has been a disaster of a season. I hope like heck that that changes. I do think that that could change, but it needs to change or else Dan and Tanya should fire Ron Rivera. 
This was Ron during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on whether he believes that the Commanders will ultimately make this the step-forward season that he wants off this 1-3 and three start through essentially a quarter of the regular season. Well, we'll see. I mean, it, it, it's like he says, a quarter of the way. You know, I mean, again, we got to get, you know, get going. We got things got to happen. We got to make some positive things happen. You got opportunities. You got to take advantage of them. This was an opportunity I thought we could have done a little bit better. Yeah, but you didn't do better. Uh, how about this from Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon? Ron, on where his team stands right now. I think this team stands where it, it, it's time to, to, to take another step. I mean, you look at the players, you look at some of the things that go on, you watch the entirety of the game play by play by play by play, and you see enough that tells you you, you, you should play better. We need to play better, you know, and we got to continue to make sure we're putting them in a position to have success. And I like some of the things that we're doing, and we just got to capitalize when we're in a good position. I mean, this, this is a hard one because this is Dallas. We had a chance. You know, we played well enough. But apparently, anytime you get close enough or good enough, it's not enough. We got to get it going after them. And when you play this team, this this is a good football team. You got to bring it. And the Commanders on Sunday afternoon it did not bring it enough. Uh, but there you had it, Ron Rivera. Quote: I think this team stands where it's time to take another step. And quote: Once again, the idea of this season being a step forward season. You know, Ron has been right all along. This season does need to be a step forward season. But instead of stepping forward, the commanders are getting stepped on. And one of the biggest reasons why is their offense. And so let's get to that right now. Well, the Commanders' 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon was a second consecutive loss for the Commanders that, to me, is on their offense. Uh, They now have lost three consecutive games, week two, the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions. That loss was more on the defense than the offense. Week three, the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. That loss was on the offense. And week four, this 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys, this loss was on the offense. A commander's passing game that, for the most part, looked really good over the first two games of the 2022 regular season, now looks lost, and the running game has been inconsistent at best. And to me, this starts with the offensive line. The commander's offensive line right now is a mess, a disheveled, chaotic mess. I mean, how about the fact that the commanders on Sunday afternoon started their third different center in four games? in this 2022 regular season. Nick Martin was the team's starting center. He is essentially the team's fourth string center because the team's top three centers from last season were out on Sunday. Chase Roulier is on the reserve injured list. Tyler Larson is on the reserve physically unable to perform list, although he could come off that as soon as this week. And Wes Schweitzer now is on the reserve injured list. The commanders on Saturday put Schweitzer on injured reserve due to that concussion that he suffered in the loss to the Eagles in week three. We last season made a big deal of Washington being down to its fourth string center in Keith Ismail, right? Well, at least that happened later in the season. The commanders already this season are down to a fourth string center in Nick Martin. So the team is depleted at center. Then you have what's happening at right guard. Trey Turner in the loss at the Cowboys got benched 
in favor of Sadiq Charles. Now, I have no problem with this happening. Trey Turner has not been good. The truth is that he wasn't good in either of the last two seasons. I talked about that on this podcast multiple times in the months leading up to the season, but already the team has had to bench a starting offensive lineman because he has been so bad. Take it back to the commander's first offensive drive in the loss at the Cowboys. Uh, This drive resulted in a first quarter punt. The sixth snap of the drive, Trey Turner, a second and seven, five-yard false start penalty. The next snap on the drive, Carson Wentz had no chance on a second and 12 sack by interior defensive lineman Neville Gallimore for a nine-yard loss as the offensive line blew a protection and Gallimore came in unblocked. And it certainly appeared as if Trey Turner blew the protection And then soon after that, Trey Turner was benched. Uh, This was head coach Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on why he benched Trey Turner in favor of Sadiq Charles. You know, Trey isn't quite where he needs to be yet. And and, and so the decision was to, to uh, to go with Sadiq and get him in there. Yeah, remember Trey Turner during training camp in the preseason missed a lot of time due to a quadriceps ailment. But again, he was not good the last two seasons. Then you have the extent to which the commander's offensive line has been giving up sacks and giving up quarterback hits. And no doubt, some of that has been on the quarterback, Carson Wentz. But, you know, a lot of that has been on the offensive line. The commanders on Sunday afternoon only allowed two sacks, but the team also allowed 11 quarterback hits. The commanders now, over their last three games, have allowed 16 sacks and 39 quarterback hits. Those are absurd totals, man. And no, you can't just pin all of that on Carson Wentz. And then specific to the loss at the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon, there were the penalties. Good God, (laughs) there were the penalties. The commanders in this game had a whopping and inexcusable 11 accepted penalties for 136 yards. Five of the 11 accepted penalties were on the offensive line. I just made mention of the Trey Turner penalty. Commander's first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. Six snap of the drive, Trey Turner, his second and seven five-yard full start penalty. The commander's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. Second snap of that drive, Nick Martin committed a second and six, a 10-yard holding penalty. The commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in a third quarter three and out. Second snap of that drive, Sadiq Charles, a second and 11, 10-yard holding penalty on a snap that nearly resulted in a Carson Wentz interception to corner Trayvon Diggs. And then the next snap, Samuel Cosme, a second and 21, five-yard full start penalty. Yeah, you have a second and 21 and your right tackle commits a five-yard full start penalty. Uh, The commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's late third quarter 45-yard field goal to cut the commander's deficit to 15-10. What was, by the way, Joey Sly's first field goal attempt of the 2022 regular season. But the seventh snap of that drive, Samuel Cosme, a third and 22 five-yard false start penalty. So Samuel Cosme on Sunday afternoon had a five-yard false start penalty on a second and 21 and had a five-yard false start penalty on a third and 22. This was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the penalties by the commanders, especially the penalties on the offensive line. 
Well, disappointed for the most part as far as penalties. Certain penalties are, are you know, concentration focus. Sure, it gets loud. Sure, the crowd gets into it. Sure, they're, you know, they're, they're jumping the line, stuff like that. But we got to sit in there. We got to be disciplined. That's something that we as coaches got to make sure gets corrected. I mean, that, that was not good enough because that hurt our, we hurt ourselves and took ourselves out of, out of uh, certain opportunities. You know, we're early in the game. We're moving the ball and we got a holding penalty. That when, when those things happen, that really, that really messes things up. Yes, it does. And with the offensive line, you also have to throw run blocking into the mix. The commanders in the loss at the Cowboys ran the ball very well in the first half, but then got stuffed in the second half. Running backs Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jonathan Williams in the first half combined for 14 carries for 101 yards. But Gibson, McKissick, and Williams in the second half combined for 12 carries for just 36 yards. I mean, two totally different halves for the Commanders on Sunday afternoon in terms of the running game. Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference was asked about his message to his team after the game, and this was his response, and you'll hear him bring up the Commanders running game. You know, I think um, there were some really positive things that can be taken from what happened out there. You know, we, 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 we did some positive things running the football with some positive shutting down the run. But we got to sustain it, though. You know what I'm saying? When, when you're running the ball successfully, you can't take minus plays, especially at the start of the second half. We came out, set a tone, did some things really good in the first half in terms as far as running it. Told the guys that you have this kind of identity you can have, but you come out in the second half, you got to run it again and got to run it again. We just got to get downhill and find out exactly just how tough everybody is. Yeah, you know, Washington's offensive line in each of the last two seasons was a surprising positive, especially last season. So far this season, the commander's offensive line has been arguably the biggest negative on the team. Major disappointment. And now we arrive at Carson Wentz. Do I think that Carson should be benched? No, not right now. I think that it's too early for that. But there's no doubt that he needs to be better. He has not played well in each of the last two games now. Carson at the Cowboys completed just 25 of his 42 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 59.52. Carson over his 42 pass attempts threw for just 170 yards. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of a microscopic 4.05. Carson had just one touchdown pass versus two interceptions. Carson did only take two sacks, but he committed two intentional grounding penalties. I mean, think about it like this. Who was the better quarterback in this game? Carson Wentz or the Cowboys' Cooper Rush? The answer is Cooper Rush. Carson Wentz for this season has a salary cap hit of $28.3 million. He needs to outplay Cooper Rush in a big game for the commanders at the Cowboys. And yet Carson did not do that. And that is a problem. The commander's first offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt. The eighth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz had a third and 21 shotgunning completion on which he took a hit from edge defender Demarcus Lawrence, who was being blocked by Samuel Cosme. But Carson on this play kept backpedaling as opposed to just stepping up in the pocket as Lawrence got push on Cosme. Carson's feel of pressure in the pocket is very lacking. Uh, the commander's third offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. The fifth snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first and 10, 12-yard intentional grounding penalty. His throw did not make it back 
to the line of scrimmage. And this was a mess of a snap. Carson was executing a shotgun play action fake, maybe an RPO. And he seemingly had trouble removing the ball from the belly of Antonio Gibson. Micah Parsons blew through Logan Thomas to generate pressure. And then on the seventh snap of the drive, Carson Wentz inaccurate, threw way high on a third and 11 shotgun incompletion intended for J.D. McKissick. Uh, Commander's fifth offensive drive, the fourth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at their 37 with 17 seconds left in the second quarter. Carson Wentz threw an interception to corner Trayvon Diggs on a shotgun deep pass intended for Jahan Dodson. Also on the play was Carson taking a shot from edge defender Dante Fowler Jr. The commander's eighth offensive drive resulted in the Joey Sly late third quarter 45-yard field goal. We had on that drive the second snap. Carson Wentz inaccurate again, throwing way high and way wide of Curtis Samuel on a second and eight shotgun play action incompletion. The commander's 11th offensive drive, third snap of the drive, pick number two for Carson Wentz in this game, a third and eight for the commanders at their 13. Carson, an interception to corner Duran Bland on a shotgun pass intended for Curtis Samuel. Bland is a rookie out of Fresno State. He had not played on a regular season defensive snap until this game, but he undercut the ball for the pick in the ensuing Cowboys offensive drive resulted in Brett Maher's fourth quarter 29-yard field goal for a 25-10 Cowboys lead. Here was Carson during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on what frustrated him the most from the loss at the Cowboys. Um, obviously, the, the turnovers, um, you know, one before half trying to make a play. That is what it is, kind of. But, you know, we definitely want to leave that ball a little bit further outside to get my guy a shot. Um, guy made a good play, but I got to be better and smarter with that. Late in the game, you know, trying to find a way to push it down the field and go go find a way to score, and guy made a good play. But just trying to be smarter in those situations. Um, but, yeah, just being consistent and executing, trying to convert third downs. Um, you know, it's hard to say. There's there a lot of things going on out there today. But, um, yeah, I got, I got to be better. I got to be more consistent. It's funny. The Commanders actually outgained the Cowboys 297-279. And each team went 5 of 15 on third downs. But, man, did it not feel like the Cowboys were a lot better offensively than the Commanders were? Uh, I did really like Carson Wentz's touchdown pass. Uh, this was a thing of beauty. Second quarter, third and three, 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Jahan Dodson. Carson lofted a beautiful pass to Dodson, who beat corner Anthony Brown in coverage. Ensuing extra point gave the Commanders a 7-6 lead. I also really liked a play that happened on the Commanders' eighth offensive drive, the one that resulted in the Joey Sly late third quarter 45-yard field goal. The third snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a third and eight, 31-yard shotgun completion to Jahan Dodson on a broken play on which Carson did a good job of climbing the pocket. Boy, you would love to see more of that from Carson Wentz. Better pocket awareness, better pocket presence. You just have not seen enough of that over these last few weeks. But overall, Carson Wentz, on Sunday afternoon was not close to good enough, just like the commander's offense on Sunday afternoon was nowhere close to good enough. There's also this, what is up with the lack of involvement of Terry McLaurin? Your number one receiver has become like a forgotten man. Uh, Terry McLaurin in the loss at the Cowboys, two receptions for 15 yards on six targets. And I know, Cowboys corner Trayvon Diggs did a very good job on Terry. Uh, the truth also, though, is that the Cowboys got away with some stuff 
on Terry. And this was maddening. Uh, Commander's second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out. The fourth snap of the drive, Terry McLaurin certainly appeared to be interfered with by safety Donovan Wilson, but no penalty was called on what ended up being a Carson Wentz third and 15 deep shotgun incompletion intended for Terry down the right sideline. I mean, go back and rewatch that play. The ball is in the air. Wilson with his right hand tugs at Terry's collar and Terry ultimately falls down. That's not defensive pass interference. And then the commander's 10th offensive drive. This was the drive that started at the Cowboys 30, thanks to that 22-yard punt by Brian Anger. But the drive did not result in points for the commanders. The drive resulted in a fourth quarter turnover on downs as the commanders on a fourth and 15 at the Cowboys 16, with 8.02 left in the fourth quarter while trailing 22-10 went for it and failed. I was not in love with this call by head coach Ron Rivera in terms of going for it in this spot. But what happened on this play, Carson Wentz, a shotgun pass to the end zone intended for Terry McLaurin, deflected by Trayvon Diggs. But Diggs on this play totally got away with a pull on Terry. And then also on the play was Carson taking a hit from edge defender Dorrance Armstrong Jr. Let me make this clear. Officiating isn't why the commanders lost this game. But that doesn't mean that some calls that could have gone the commander's way did not go the commander's way. But still, with Terry McLaurin, off all of the talk last week of the lack of involvement of Terry in recent first halves, he, in this loss at the Cowboys, finished with two receptions for 15 yards on six targets. He is your number one receiver, your WR1, two receptions for 15 yards on six targets. Carson Wentz during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the lack of involvement from Terry McLaurin in the loss at the Cowboys. Yeah, um, hard to say. Hard to say. Obviously, you know, coming out this game, very committed to, to trying to run the ball and, and be established line of scrimmage, which I thought we did some good things. And um, because of that, maybe he wasn't as involved early, which I don't know if really our passing game was really involved early on in any way. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what Terry had for catches, but I know um, I want him to be more involved too. You know, it, it's it's not uh, one thing or the other. It's just it's just execution. It's it's me. It's It's all of us. And so um, it's hard to hard to put your finger on it. And you know they get they get paid too over there. They make good plays, but um, I know we'll find a way to keep uh, keep him positive and keep him going. Yeah. Well, the Commanders need a solution to their offensive struggles, uh, just like Dr. Matthew Mintz has a solution for your weight loss struggles. If you have a hard time losing weight or have lost weight but then put the weight back on, Dr. Matthew Mintz can help you. Dr. Matthew Mintz is a board-certified internal medicine physician and weight loss expert in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Mintz understands your frustration because he himself has struggled with being overweight. You see, there's a reason that most weight loss programs fail, and that's because the human body has evolved over time to prevent you from losing weight. And while these mechanisms were protective hundreds of years ago, today, these mechanisms just make weight loss extremely difficult. The solution is medical weight loss. By using prescription medications that fight the factors that prevent weight loss, Dr. Matthew Mintz will help you achieve your weight loss goals. And not only will you lose the weight, but you'll keep the weight off. You see, Dr. Mintz does not use powders, shakes, or other special foods that you need to purchase. Instead, he uses prescription medications and personalized lifestyle changes, and he'll give you the support 
that you need to succeed. Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program includes an initial in-person comprehensive evaluation, blood work, and a customized weight loss plan, in-person or virtual follow-up visits to keep you on track, a full year of phone calls and emails to answer questions or troubleshoot problems, and one year of prescription medications for weight loss. The good news is that many, if not all of these things, will be covered by or reimbursable through your insurance. Dr. Matthew Mintz, he has been in practice for over 25 years. He serves as clinical faculty at the George Washington University School of Medicine, and he is consistently ranked as a top doctor by Washingtonian Magazine. He is a huge Commanders fan and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. If you are ready to lose your excess weight the right way, find out more about Dr. Matthew Mintz's medical weight loss program by calling 855-646-8963. That's 855-646-8963. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit drmintz.com. That's D-R-Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z, dot com, and click on medical weight loss. That's 855-646-8963 or drmintz.com. And make sure that you tell Dr. Mintz that Al Galdi sent you. Well, let's talk commander's defense of what it did in the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. So I thought that the commander's defense played well enough to win. Uh, The defense overall was mixed, but to me, it played well enough to win. Second consecutive game for which we can say that. I thought that the defense did a lot of good things in the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in week three. Now look, This defense still is not what the defense has been built up to be, and that is a great defense, okay? Uh, As I tweeted on Sunday afternoon, uh, the defense is at best mid, okay? I mean, that's the way that it feels right now, but the defense has played well enough to win these last two games, and I think it's fair to point that out. The commander's defense for this game was without multiple key players, including, of course, edge defender Chase Young, who remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list. And it doesn't sound like he's coming off of that uh, anytime super soon. He's eligible to come off the pup list this week. But NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com on Sunday morning reported that Chase is, quote, targeting a midseason return, end quote. And that is in accordance with what has been said previously regarding Chase Young. So it still may be a while until he makes his season debut. Remember, he's coming off a torn right ACL that he suffered in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field last November 14th, but the injury was not as simple as a torn right ACL. Not that that is a simple injury, but uh, Chase, in a post-OTA practice press conference on June 1st, revealed that a graft from his left patellar tendon had been used for his right knee, indicating that his right ACL was reconstructed and not simply repaired. And then NFL insider Jordan Schultz on August 23rd tweeted that Chase's injured right leg also had included a, quote, fully ruptured patella, end quote. But anyway, no Chase Young on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise was inactive for a second consecutive game due to a high ankle sprain. And interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis 
is on the reserve injured list. But the commander's defense on Sunday did get back multiple key players. Corner William Jackson III returned from a one-game absence caused by a back ailment. Edge defender James Smith-Williams returned from a one-game absence caused by an abdominal injury. And edge defender Casey Tuhill returned from a one-game absence caused by a concussion. There were two things that really bothered me about the commander's defense in the loss at the Cowboys. Penalties by defensive backs and the commanders giving up more big passing plays. The giving up of more explosives, as head coach Ron Rivera calls them. Uh, First, the penalties. The commanders in this game, 11 accepted penalties for 136 yards. Four of the 11 accepted penalties were penalties by the commander's secondary. And two of those accepted penalties negated interceptions by the commanders who remain with just one takeaway in the 2022 regular season. Safety Derek Forrest's game-sealing fourth-quarter interception in the 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. That remains the lone commander's takeaway in the 2022 regular season. But the penalties by commander's defensive backs in this game were painful. The Cowboys' fifth offensive drive, a 15-play, 75-yard drive, that consumed six minutes, one second off the clock, resulted in Cooper Rush's late second quarter, third and six, nine-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Michael Gallup, who made the catch near the back of the end zone on a broken play. Uh, now, F.A. Obata did block the Brett Maher extra point attempt, so the Cowboys lead stood at 12-7. But the third snap of this drive, Benjamin St. Juice committed a third and seven, five-yard illegal contact penalty, negating an interception by the Jews. Uh, The Cowboys' seventh offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in a third-quarter punt. The second snap of the drive, William Jackson III, a second and 17 five-yard holding penalty that A, negated an interception by Cameron Curl, and B, gave the Cowboys a first down off a seven-yard loss on a first and 10. A seven-yard loss, by the way, that had been caused by William Jackson III. He undid the very good thing that he had done on the previous snap. The Cowboys' ninth offensive drive resulted in Cooper Rush's second and five 30-yard shotgun touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb on the first snap of the fourth quarter. Lamb on his route just torched William Jackson III, ensuing extra point Gave the Cowboys a 22-10 lead. Second snap of the drive in the next-to-last snap of the third quarter. William Jackson, the third, a second-and-eight, 38-yard pass interference penalty as Jackson grabbed Michael Gallup's face mask and covering him on a deep ball. And then the Cowboys' 11th offensive drive resulted in a fourth-quarter punt, but the first snap of the drive, William Jackson, the third, a first-and-10, 27-yard pass interference penalty in covering Michael Gallup. What is up with William Jackson III and these penalties? Three penalties in this game on Sunday afternoon. You know, Jackson in the 2021 regular season committed a team-worst eight total penalties, seven of which were accepted, and five of his eight total penalties were defensive pass interference penalties. The guy has been a walking DPI since he came to Washington. This was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon on Jackson's two pass interference penalties in the loss at the Cowboys. Well, I, I just think, again, one of, them, one of them, I definitely would like to see him just relax a little bit and not get so eager. 
he was in good position running with the guy striker side, and then when he went up for it, he got his hand on him. He, he can't do that. I mean, I, I saw why the flag got thrown. The other one, I'm still trying to figure it out. I thought there was something called hand fighting, and and I thought when somebody starts the hand fighting, then you know whatever happens happens, and that that, that one was a little surprising that that one got called. But on the inverse, again, as I said, sometimes when the guys are you know running deep digs and coming across, and you know, guy's got his hand on his hip. That's not hand fighting. You know, Washington on March 19th, 2021, signed William Jackson III as an unrestricted free agent to a three-year, $40.5 million contract with $26 million in total guarantees. He got a nice contract, and the deal has not worked out. And some of this, maybe even a majority of this, has been on how the commanders have used Jackson, right? Square peg, round hole with him being asked to play a lot of zone when he has been at his best in man coverage. But you know what? He has made mistakes in man coverage too. And ultimately, he needs to be better. And he hasn't been better. The commanders allowed Cowboys quarterback Cooper Rush on Sunday afternoon to throw for 223 yards on 27 pass attempts. That works out to 826 yards per pass attempt. That is way too high of a yards per pass attempt for a defense to allow. And the commanders allowed Rush to have two touchdown passes versus no interceptions. There were more big plays made by an opposing team's passing offense against the commander's defense. The Cowboys' first offensive drive was the first offensive drive of the game, resulted in Brett Maher's first quarter 53-yard field goal for a 3-0 Cowboys lead. Third snap of the drive, the commanders generated zero pressure, and Cooper Rush had a ton of time on what ended up being a 3rd-5, 31-yard shotgun completion to Ezekiel Elliott on a screen. Cole Holcomb missed on an attempted tackle of Zeke. Cowboys' third offensive drive resulted in Brett Maher's 45-yard field goal on the first snap of the second quarter for a 6-0 Cowboys lead. First snap of the drive, Jamin Davis wound up in man-to-man coverage on CeeDee Lamb, and the result was a Cooper Rush first quarter, first and 10, 23-yard shotgun completion to Lamb. Second snap of the drive, Jamin Davis again wound up in coverage on C.D. Lamb, this time in zone coverage, and the result was a Cooper Rush first quarter, first and 10, 16-yard under center play action completion to Lamb. Now remember, we danced this dance of why is Jamin Davis winding up in coverage on speedy receivers off what happened with Jamin in having to cover receiver Christian Kirk in the Commander's 28-22 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1. And here's the thing. Yes, sometimes bad matchups are unavoidable, but you really need to do as good of a job as possible to avoid things like Jamin Davis having to cover someone like C.D. Lamb. And that this ended up happening not just twice in the game, but on consecutive snaps, as was the case on this drive. That can't be happening, okay? I mean, Jamin Davis clearly is not good enough for that. He can run, but there's more to coverage than just being able to run. And Damon Davis right now is not up to the task of covering someone like a C.D. Lamb, but that drive did result in three as opposed to seven. The Cowboys' fifth offensive drive resulted in Cooper Rush's late second quarter, third and six, nine-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Michael Gallup. The sixth snap of that drive, Kendall Fuller got beat by Michael Gallup on a Cooper Rush third and eight, 15-yard shotgun completion to Gallup. Cowboys' Eighth offensive drive resulted in Brett Maher's third quarter 28-yard field goal for a 15-7 Cowboys lead. First snap of the drive, Kendall Fuller got beat by Noah Brown on a Cooper Rush first and 10, 
45-yard offset eye play action bomb to Brown. You know, Fuller on this play was in press man coverage in the slot, and the result was not good. For all of those who want Kendall Fuller in the slot, a play like that is why Fuller is not in the slot. Yes, Kendall Fuller excelled as a slot corner in 2017. 2017 was five years ago now. So I know that there's this movement for Benjamin St. Juice to play on the outside and for, say, Fuller to play in the slot. But the truth is, Fuller can't play the slot like he could play the slot back in 2017. And I actually think that Benjamin St. Juice has done a pretty good job in the slot. And then the Cowboys' ninth offensive drive resulted in Cooper Rush's second and five 30-yard shotgun touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb on the first snap of the fourth quarter. Lamb on his route, just burning William Jackson the third ensuing extra point gave the Cowboys a 22-10 lead. So clearly the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon, far from flawless, but there was plenty of good from the commander's defense. Uh, The commanders held the Cowboys to just 25 points, okay? I mean, that's what matters more than anything, the points given up. Cowboys only scored 25 points. The Cowboys were held to just one of three in the red zone by the commanders. Uh, The commander's defense, again, was good on third downs. The commanders held the Cowboys to just 5 of 15 on third downs. Amazingly, the commander's defense this season has been good on third downs in every game. The commanders through week four now have held opposing teams in the 2022 regular season to a combined 17 of 55 on third downs. The thing that so many were so worried about going into this season actually has been a strength for the commander's defense so far this season. Third downs. Uh, The Cowboys' second offensive drive resulted in a first quarter three and out, third snap of the drive on a third and three for the Cowboys at their 17. Jonathan Allen got great push on left guard Connor McGovern for a sack of Cooper Rush for a six-yard loss. The Cowboys' 10th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter three and out, third snap of the drive on a third and 11 for the Cowboys at their eight. Jonathan Allen deflected a Cooper Rush shotgun pass in the end zone. Uh, Now, the ball could have and should have been caught for a pick six. The ball went up in the air, could have been caught for a pick six in the end zone, but uh, Allen, unfortunately, could not locate the ball. Uh, Also, the commander stopped the run. The commanders held Cowboys running backs Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard to combine 27 carries for 55 yards, 2.04 yards per carry. I mean, dominant run defense by the commanders in this game. The Cowboys' seventh offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter punt. The first snap of the drive, William Jackson, the third, tackled Tony Pollard on a first and 10 under center toss run for a seven yard loss as Jackson ran right by right tackle Terrence Steele. Third snap of the drive, Deron Payne tackled Tony Pollard on a first and 10 under center handoff run for a two-yard loss. The Cowboys' eighth offensive drive resulted in Brett Maher's third quarter 28-yard field goal for a 15-7 Cowboys lead. Third snap of the drive, Montez Sweat tackled Ezekiel Elliott on a first and 15 under center handoff run for a one-yard loss. Uh, I've mentioned some standout moments for Jonathan Allen. I thought that he had a good game. I thought that Deron Payne had another impressive game. How about this play from Payne? Cowboys' fifth offensive drive resulted in the Cooper Rush late second quarter, third and six. Nine-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Michael Gallup, but the fifth snap of the drive, Deron Payne, a batted ball for a pass defense on a Cooper Rush. Second and eight shotgun incompletion. So I actually liked a good bit of what we saw from the commander's defense, but when you only score 10 points, hard to win. 
And while the commander's defense uh, was not bad, it was certainly not dominant enough to where you could win by scoring just 10 points in this game at the Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. Up next, I'm talking college football, including a gutsy performance by Maryland quarterback Talia Tungavailoa of what just happened with his brother, Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, and just how bad are things for Virginia Tech and Virginia? All of that and a lot more after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right, let's now talk college football. Wins on Saturday for Maryland, Liberty, and James Madison. Losses for Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. I tell you, we in Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia have three of the worst offenses in the country. But we begin with Maryland. Uh, the Terrapins improved to 4-1 overall and 1-1 one one in the Big Ten. A 27-13 win over Michigan State at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland on Saturday. And yes, I did say CQ Stadium. Uh, this was the Terps' first game with their home stadium, which of course had been Bird Stadium and then Maryland Stadium being known as CQ Stadium. CQ is spelled S E. CU, all caps. Uh, Maryland on September 16th announced a 10 year partnership with the CQ, which is a state chartered credit union for $11 million guaranteed, including a $2.5 million gift supporting programs and facilities. So we had the stadium as CQ Stadium. We also had the Terps wearing their Terps script uniforms, of which I am a big fan. Uh, those uniforms look great. And Maryland played well. Uh, the Terps led at the half 21 13. Then won the second half, 6 nothing. You could argue that the Terps should have won by more. Uh, the Terps won by 14 points, but it did feel like they could have won by more. The Terps outgained Michigan State 489 
321. Uh, the Terps won the time of possession battle by 12 minutes, 32 seconds. But still, this was an impressive win. Quarterback Talia Tungavailoa, really nice game, 32 of 41 for 314 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions. He took just one sack. He officially had four carries for 18 yards. Talia had a first and goal, five-yard shotgun sprint out touchdown pass to receiver Rakim Jarrett with 42 seconds left in the second quarter. You know, both players had been considered game day decisions due to injury. Uh, so much for that. Uh, Talia in this game threw for at least 300 yards in a game for a Maryland record tying 10th time in his career. Uh, Scott Milanovic threw for at least 300 yards in a game 10 times in his career, 1992 through 1995. Uh, Talia passed Boomer Esiason for third in Maryland history in career passing yards. And Talia did all of this off what had happened to his brother, right? Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa carted off the field on a stretcher due to a concussion in that frightening scene this past Thursday night, the 27-15 loss at the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday night football. Here was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening on Talia Tungavailoa. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'll take my hat off to that kid. Um, you guys have no idea what the last 24 to 48 hours has been like for him. And for him to be able to compartmentalize and get himself ready to play. I'm sure he'll be in here pissed off and disappointed. He throws for 300 yards, 24, whatever, 31. Uh, and, and obviously, the injury to his brother was heavy on his mind. And uh, we, we get, did a good job of surrounding him. But I really like the way that he was able to kind of compartmentalize and lean on his brothers. And that's what the culture we've tried to create for him. Um, to start fast, that was part of our goal. Um, you know, when the team comes in, like Michigan State, who you know, we're basically circling the wagons. Uh, we knew we needed to start fast to kind of take the air out of them. And, and I like the way we responded on offense. You know, unfortunately, defensively, we allowed them to go down and answer. So um, really proud of Leah um, and, and, again, the way he responded, especially having a, a long week there at the end of the week. Yeah, Talia Tungavailoa now over five games in the 2022 season, a completion percentage of 75.47, a yards per pass attempt of 8.91, and he threw week five is number 23 among all qualified FBS quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 season at 77.4. Also, very impressive game for Maryland running back Antoine Littleton II. Uh, he is a local. He went to St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. He had 19 carries for 120 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 6.32 yards per carry. Littleton had a first quarter, first and 10, 15-yard pistol handoff touchdown run, giving him a touchdown now in each of six consecutive games. Longest touchdown streak by a Maryland running back since Lance Ball scored in six straight games over the 2005 and 2006 seasons. And Littleton had an early fourth quarter, second and six, 68-yard shotgun handoff run, fourth run by a Maryland player of at least 50 yards this season. Uh, the Terps' defense was mostly good. Terps held Michigan State to just the 13 points, held Michigan State quarterback Peyton Thorne to just 221 yards on 44 pass attempts. That works out Two yards per pass attempt of just 5.02. Two nits to pick. Terps did allow Michigan State to go 7-14 on third downs and did allow Michigan State running backs Elijah Collins, Jalen Berger, and Jarek Broussard to combine for 17 carries for 86 yards 
and a touchdown. That works out to 5.06 yards per carry. And we also had what happened with kicker and Eastern Michigan transfer Chad Ryland, who has been outstanding for the Terps this season. He on Saturday went 2-3 on field goals, connected on a third quarter 43-yard field goal, did miss a late third quarter 50-yard field goal attempt, but then connected on a fourth quarter 51-yard field goal, giving him three made field goals each of at least 50 yards this season. Most such made field goals in a season for a Maryland kicker since Nick Novak had three in 2002. And keep in mind, right, we are only five games into Maryland's 2022 season. Next up for the Terps, home to Purdue this Saturday at noon. Navy, it fell to one and three overall with a 13-10 loss at Air Force on Saturday afternoon. Uh, The game did end up being a lot closer than the point spreads for the game suggested, but uh, there still was a third loss in four games for Navy this season. The midshipmen lost the first quarter 10-0, then won the rest of the game 10-3, but Navy's offense continued to struggle. The mids scored just 10 points. You know, the mids over four games this season had scored a total of just 53 points, and six of the points were overtime points. So the mids went just 4-13 on third downs. The mids rushing offense continued to not be good. Navy totaled 36 carries for just 114 yards and a touchdown. That works out to just 3.17 yards per carry. The quarterback, Ty Lovatai, 12 carries for just 34 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Went 11 of 20 passing for just 129 yards, no touchdowns and no interceptions. He took one sack. Uh, Navy starting fullback, Anton Hall Jr. suffered a shoulder injury in the first quarter, ended up being out for the game. Uh, This season has been a continuation of last season, which also featured bad offense for Navy. Uh, Navy did lose despite its defense playing very well. The Mids held Air Force to just 13 points, held Air Force to just 3 of 11 on third downs, though two of Air Force's third down conversions were killers. A first quarter 67-yard under center play action touchdown bomb by quarterback Kazik Daniels to receiver David Cormier, uh, who was wide open on a third and two on the third offensive play of the game, and a fourth quarter third and six 18-yard under center run by Daniels to ice the game. But the mids did hold Air Force to 200 total net rushing yards and a 426 yards per carry. And those numbers may not sound great, but Air Force through week four was number one in the FBS by miles in rushing yards per game for the 2022 season at 412.2 and was number three in the FBS in yards per carry for the 2022 season at 6.68. So all things considered, Navy's defense did a good job against the Air Force offense. Here was Navy head coach Ken Niamatololo during his post-game media availability on Saturday afternoon. It's it's it's. I mean, our guys. Everybody's hurting. I mean, everybody involved in our program. I mean, our. It's like somebody splits your heart open. I mean, you're. Everybody's hurting right now. So just nothing. Just tell them we love them. You know what I mean? Because there's nothing I can say that will take away the pain. I mean, we're all hurting. There's nothing I can say that will alleviate any of that. Um, we just got to come back and get ready for Tulsa. You know, we got to come back. I'm just proud of the way. You know, early on, 10-0. You know, I'm sure people are thinking it's going to be a blowout and our guys kept fighting to the end. So, that, I mean, one thing I was proud about is just, you know, we, our guys kept fighting to the end. Yeah, tough season for the mid so far. Next up for Navy, home to Tulsa this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. We, on Saturday, had both Virginia Tech and Virginia playing road games in the state of North Carolina, uh, which was not kind to Virginia Tech 
and Virginia. Virginia Tech fell to 2-3 and three overall and 1-1 one and one in the ACC with a 41-10 loss at North Carolina on Saturday. Things are not going well so far for the Hokies' new head coach, Brent Pry. What do you think former Tech head coach Justin Fuente is thinking right now? Uh, this debacle of a loss for the Hokies was off a 33-10 debacle of a loss to West Virginia at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg, Virginia on September 22nd. How about this? This two-game stretch marks the first time since October 1989 that Tech has scored 10 points or less in each of two consecutive games. October 1989. What was going on in your life in October 1989? How many of you were even alive in October 1989? Uh, I was nine years old in October 1989, and my two favorite athletes were Cal Ripken Jr. and Gary Clark. Life was so much simpler back then. But anyway, uh, the Hokies offense, again, was not good, and this was despite facing a North Carolina team that through week four was number 124 in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN for this season. I mean, if you can't move the ball against the Tar Heels, who have been terrible defensively this season, against whom exactly can you move the ball? The Hokies scored just 10 points. The Hokies had just 273 total net yards of offense. The Hokies averaged just 3.9 yards per play. Uh, The Hokies' new starting quarterback, the Marshall transfer, Grant Wells, not good yet again, 16-26 for just 139 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. He did take no sacks. He had six carries for 17 yards and a touchdown, but the numbers for Wells this season are rough. Grant Wells, through five games this season, has a yards per pass attempt of just 6.26 and just five touchdown passes versus six interceptions. Uh, The Hokies' rushing offense, again, was disappointing. You know, Brent Pry likes to talk about wanting Tech to be a run-first team and a dominant team on the ground. Well, Tech certainly ain't there yet. Uh, Running back Keyshawn King did have nine carries for 52 yards, but running backs Chance Black, Bryce Duke, and Jalen Holston combined for 17 carries for just 42 yards, 2.47 yards per carry. Uh, Tech did remain without running back Malachi Thomas due to injury. And then there was Tech's defense, which statistically had not been bad so far this season, but Tech got shredded by North Carolina quarterback Drake May on Saturday. Tech allowed May to go 26-36 for 363 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. Tech registered no sacks. Tech also allowed May to have 13 carries for 73 yards and two touchdowns. Drake May accounted for 436 of Carolina's 527 total net yards of offense. And look, Drake May has been great so far this season. He threw week five, is number four among all qualified FBS quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR for this season at 90.6. By the way, number five is Tennessee quarterback and former Virginia Tech quarterback Hendon Hooker. Uh, Boy, does that sting if you're a Hokies fan. But as good as Drake May has been, that was disappointing seeing the Hokies get worked by him as they did. Uh, Next up for Virginia Tech at Pitt this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Virginia, uh, it fell to 2-3 overall and 0-2 in the ACC with a 38-17 
Lost at Duke on Saturday night. Oh, what a difference a year makes. The Cavaliers demolished Duke 48-0 in their homecoming game on October 16th, 2021. This year, it was Virginia getting ripped at Duke. Uh, the Cavs trailed in the second quarter, 21-0. Quarterback Brennan Armstrong, another bad game. Uh, despite head coach Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference being complimentary of Armstrong, but Armstrong completed just 19 of his 37 pass attempts. His completion percentage for this season over five games is just 51.98. Armstrong, on his 37 pass attempts, threw for just 202 yards. His yards per pass attempt for this season over five games is just 5.93. Armstrong had one touchdown pass versus one interception. He, for this season over five games, has just four touchdown passes versus five interceptions. I mean, Brendan Armstrong last season over 11 games, 31 touchdown passes versus 10 interceptions. He did only take one sack, did have eight carries for 41 yards and a touchdown, but nothing to me has been worse for Virginia so far this season than this decline of Brendan Armstrong. And I do think that a lot of this has to do with UVA's new head coach, Tony Elliott, who has installed a new offense calling for balance between the passing game and the running game and calling for Armstrong to play more within the structure within which he throws a lot of shorter passes. And Armstrong, to me, has been neutered by what Elliott is doing. And you combine that with shaky offensive line play and a number of drops by UVA pass catchers. And Armstrong is having a really bad season. Uh, this was notable, though. Tony Elliott, during his postgame press conference, said the following of Brennan Armstrong. I think if you look at Brennan, man, Brennan was a lot more comfortable in the pocket. He was staying in the pocket. He was stepping up in the pocket. Man, he delivered some strikes. You know, we had a couple of drops uh, that we should have that we should have made. Uh, anxious to see what the what the biggest issue was uh, with the with the batted balls. But I think it was the offensive line gave him a ton of time. Guys quit rushing, and you're trying to find. He looked a little bit. There were times where the, he kind of looked like the old Brennan, just had a bunch of time to find find guys open. Um, so so man, he's I'm proud of him, and that's why I told him at the end. Of the game. I said, man, I apologize to you. Man, I got to do a better job of, of helping you uh, by getting all these guys to buy in because I thought he he looked, you know, as comfortable uh, as he's looked uh, thus far uh, in the uh, in the system. Yeah, the system. Uh, how about the system from last season? Because it was under that system that Brennan Armstrong was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, also for the Cavs receiver, Billy Kemp IV, who had been out for the previous three games of dealing with illness, uh, two receptions and a drop on three targets, and then left the game due to injury. Uh, the Wahoos rushing offense was pretty good, but you know, it can only be used so much given the nature of the game. Running back Paris Jones, eight carries for 41 yards and two receptions for 20 yards and a touchdown on three targets. Uh, running back Mike Hollins had three carries for 14 yards. Receiver Keaton Thompson had one carry for 10 yards. Running back Xavier Brown did have five carries for just five yards. The Hokies' defense was mixed. Uh, the Hoos did hold Duke quarterback Riley Leonard to just 129 yards on 24 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.38. But the Hoos allowed him to have nine carries for 59 yards and two touchdowns. And the Hoos got run on big time. They allowed running backs Jalen Coleman, Jacquez Moore, and Jordan Waters to combine for 35 carries for 197 yards and two touchdowns. That works out to 5.63 yards per carry. Moore had an early fourth quarter, first and 10, 59-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. And, you know, your bottom line it, the Hoos gave up 38 points 
in this game. And UVA's penalty problem continued. UVA had six accepted penalties for 87 yards. Tony Elliott during his postgame press conference, very angry about the penalties. Uh, Virginia, in its previous game prior to this loss at Duke, the 22-20 loss at Syracuse on September 23rd, 12 accepted penalties for 105 yards. Next up for Wahoo homecoming, uh, home to Louisville this Saturday at noon. Uh, Better times for two other Virginia FBS programs, Liberty and James Madison. A good win for Liberty on Saturday evening. The Flames, a 38-24 win at Old Dominion to get to 4-1. A dominant ground game for the Flames. Uh, Running backs Day-Day Hunter and Shedro Lewis each had over 100 rushing yards. Hunter and Lewis combined for 31 carries for 230 yards and two touchdowns. Liberty did blow a 14-0 first quarter lead. You also had Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze using multiple quarterbacks in the game. Caden Salter was the starter. He was relieved by Jonathan Bennett. They did combine for two interceptions, did combine to take four sacks, but Salter and Bennett also combined for three touchdown passes and combined for a yards per pass attempt of 9.57. Next up for Liberty at UMass this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And James Madison, the Dukes, uh, they improved to 4-0 overall and 2-0 in the Sunbelt Conference. A 40-13 smashing of Texas State at Bridgeport Stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia on Saturday afternoon. JMU quarterback Todd Santeo, 15-25 for 257 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. He took one sack. He had nine carries for 52 yards and a touchdown. He continues to be among the more impressive quarterbacks in the FBS this season. Santeo through week five, number 16 among all qualified FBS quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR for this season at 80. Point seven. Uh, this was a sloppy game. The two teams combined for seven turnovers, and JMU committed three of the turnovers, but the Dukes do remain undefeated. Next up for them at Arkansas State this Saturday night at 7. Well, if you live in the Washington, D.C. area, you know that the weather in our area over the weekend was not good, thanks to the remnants of Hurricane Ian. The Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies were supposed to play four games in three days at Nationals Park over the weekend. The schedule for the weekend got changed multiple times, but ultimately the four games got played. Uh, Friday afternoon, a 5-1 Nats loss. Saturday, we had a day-night doubleheader, a 13-4 Nats win on Saturday afternoon, and then an 8-2 Nats loss on Saturday night. And then on Sunday afternoon, we had an 8-1 rain-shortened six-inning Nats loss. So the Nats now are a major league worst 55-104. and The 104 losses are a new record for most losses by the Nats in a regular season since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. And the Nats now have three games left in the 2022 regular season. Now, this game against the Phillies on Sunday afternoon basically had no business being played, but the game was played because the Nats, Phillies, and MLB were desperate to get this game in so that the Nats and the Phillies would not have to potentially make up the game this Thursday, which is the day after the 2022 regular season is supposed to end. But man, what a scene at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. Rainy, cold. Uh, The field was in really bad shape. The warning track was mud. 
You had Cesar Hernandez as an ad starting left fielder. He had a Phillies three-run fifth. Actually made a really nice defensive play. He on a one-out flyout by Matt Veerling. Navigated the slop that was the left field warning track and made an impressive backhanded catch before crashing into the left field wall. But, you know, Cesar Hernandez had never played left field in a major league regular season game until this season. This is not an experienced left fielder. And here he is trying to navigate the slop that was the left field warning track. What if Cesar Hernandez had like turned his knee and suffered a serious knee injury or suffered some other injury? And you know, I know that it's Cesar Hernandez and he's not going to be with the Nats beyond this season, more likely than not. But that's not the point. You don't want to see people getting hurt out there. Uh, I mean, the conditions were not safe. And you know, you have MOB and the MOB Players Association having agreed to a full regular season despite the lockout. And so the schedule for this 2022 regular season has been condensed. And so we got what we got on Sunday afternoon. Uh, how about C.J. Abrams? So he was an ads starting shortstop and number two batter. Went one for three with a double. His double came in an ads one run sixth. And the double was a one out double on a grounder down the first baseline that just hopped past the Phillies first baseman, Reese Hoskins. So Abrams hit this hopper down the first baseline and ended up with a double. I mean, this was not a normal baseball game, what was played at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. The Nats and Phillies are lucky that nobody got injured because the conditions at Nationals Park were, uh, shall we say, not ideal. Also not ideal was the performance of Patrick Corbin. So Corbin, in this 8-1 rain-shortened six-inning loss, to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. Started a game for the first time in 12 days off having left his previous start after just two-thirds of an inning due to back spasms. And Corbin on Sunday afternoon was not good. And this most likely was his final appearance in a game this season. Uh, certainly was his final start in a game this season. And this was a fitting ending to his season. Uh, Corbin allowed seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up 10 hits, three doubles, and seven singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 101 pitches, 63 strikes versus 38 balls. So Patrick Corbin in the 2022 regular season now, and these numbers may well end up being his final numbers, but 31 starts, an ERA of 631, a whip of 170, and a record, if you care about such a thing, of just 6 and 19. This season was Patrick Corbin's age 32 season. This was the fourth season of a six-year, $140 million contract that he signed as a free agent in December 2018. There are many layers to the Patrick Corbin story. But what I think is as disturbing as anything is that he is getting worse. It's not just that he is bad. It is that he is getting worse. And neither he nor the Nats can put a stop to him getting worse. And it's concerning. And it's concerning for him. But I mean, personally, I think it's a lot more concerning for the organization. Because to me at this point, Patrick Corbin is more or less a lost cause. I mean, you still try to work with the guy but he's not going to become the Patrick Corbin of 2019. That's not happening, okay? But what I really can't get over is how the Nats can't even get their arms around this to where the decline stops. The decline started in the 2020 regular season. Patrick Corbin in that COVID-shortened season, 11 starts, ERA of 466. 
Then Patrick Corbin for the 2021 regular season had an ERA of 582. And now Patrick Corbin for this 2022 regular season has an ERA of 631. I mean, think about that. From 466 to 582 to 631. Just brutal. And of course, there's also this. Patrick Corbin this season with an ERA well over six has been allowed to make 31 starts. Why? Because the Nats are so lacking in organizational pitching depth that they haven't had other truly viable options. Patrick Corbin on most other teams would never have been allowed to make 31 starts this season with an ERA well over six. But the Nats, unfortunately, are not like most other teams in terms of having other true viable options to start games. And so we go. And there are two seasons left after this season on the Patrick Corbin contract. And, you know, a lot of things could happen. But with the Nats ownership uncertainty, it could be that nothing happens and that Patrick Corbin is right back in the Nats rotation next season. I personally think the next step should be to use him as a reliever. Because remember, we did see him excel as a reliever in the Nationals run to winning the 2019 World Series. Corbin did some really good things as a reliever in that 2019 postseason. And maybe, just maybe, you can get something out of him that way. But what you're getting out of him right now as a starter, yes, he does stay healthy. Yes, he does make starts and eat up innings. But geez, what good is that if (laughs) the guy has an ERA over six? Uh, Speaking of struggling, uh, the Nats in the game on Saturday night started a pitcher who had no business pitching in a major league game, Tommy Romero. So the Nats on Saturday had Tommy Romero as their 29th man for this doubleheader against the Phillies. Uh, The Nats on August 25th claimed Romero off waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a guy who was taken by the Seattle Mariners in the 15th round of the 2017 MLB draft out of Eastern Florida State College. This season is Romero's age 24 season. And Romero in the 8-2 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Saturday night was horrendous. Eight runs, six earned in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, five home runs, a triple, and two singles. And you heard that right, five home runs. Tommy Romero became the first pitcher for the Nats since the franchise moved to D.C. to give up five home runs in a regular season game. He also, by the way, issued four walks. He recorded two strikeouts. He over his three and two-thirds innings threw 91 pitches, 56 strikes versus 35 balls. He had no business being out there, and yet he was. Uh, Anibal Sanchez in game two of the series did not pitch well for just a second time in eight starts. He has been a lot better lately, but he did not pitch well. And what ended up being the Nats' lone win in the series, the 13-4 win over the Phillies on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Sanchez in that game, four runs in five innings. Uh, He gave up five hits, a triple, two doubles, and two singles. He issued three walks, one of which was an intentional walk. He did record six strikeouts. Uh, He over his five innings threw 84 pitches, 51 strikes, versus 33 balls. And Eric Fetty in game one of the series struggled. Uh, He was not good for a fifth time in six starts. Fetty in the 5-1 loss to the Phillies on Friday afternoon, three runs, two earned in five innings. Uh, He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued a walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He over his five innings threw a staggering 104 pitches, 62 strikes, versus 42 balls. But what stood out the most from this outing was the extent to which the Phillies ran wild 
on Eric Fetty. The Phillies during Fetty's time of the game, five of five on stolen bases. Uh, actually give Fetty credit for only allowing two earned runs in his five innings because the damage off him could have been a lot worse. But man, I mean, Fetty could not control that Phillies running game. Five of five were the Phillies on stolen bases during Fetty's time in the game. And the Phillies finished the game six to six on stolen bases. The Nats starting catcher for this game, Riley Adams, he went 0 for six on runners trying to steal in this game. So yeah, bad starting pitching for the Nats throughout this series. The Nats this season just got stomped by the Phillies. The Nats in the 2022 regular season, 3-16 and 16 over 19 games against the Phillies. Let that sink in. But there were some positives for the Nats uh, over this uh, four-game series in three days. Joey Manessis continued to do well. Uh, he was an Nats starting first baseman and number three batter in all four games. Uh, Manessis in the 5-1 loss on Friday afternoon went two for four with a double and a single. Manessis in the 13-4 win on Saturday afternoon, huge performance, three for four with a solo homer, a three-run double, a single, and a walk. Manessis in the 8-2 loss on Saturday night, one for three, with a single and a walk. And Manessis in the 8-1 rain-shortened six-inning loss on Sunday afternoon, 0-3, but he did have an RBI ground out. I mean, he continues to produce. This continues to be such an amazing story. This guy in his age 30 season, his rookie season, what had been his 10th minor league season, mashing the way he is mashing. His OPS now, since being called up to the majors by the Nats on August 2nd, 946, a batting average of 327, an on-base percentage of 368, and a slugging percentage of 578. We also had some good stuff in this series from Luis Garcia. Uh, he was an ad starting second baseman in all four games in the series. Garcia in the 5-1 loss on Friday afternoon as an ad's number seven batter, one for three with an RBI single and a walk. Garcia in the 13-4 win on Saturday afternoon as an ad's number five batter, three for five with a three-run homer and two RBI singles. He finished with five RBI Garcia in the 8-2 loss on Saturday night as the Nats number five batter, one for four with an RBI double. And then Garcia in the 8-1 range shortened six inning loss on Sunday afternoon as the Nats number five batter did go 0 for 2. But a lot to like with what we're seeing from Joey Manessis and Luis Garcia. And also some more good stuff from C.J. Abrams, although he also struggled defensively in this series. So Abrams was an at starting shortstop and number two batter in all four games in the series. He had the 13-4 win on Saturday afternoon, went three for five with three singles, including two infield singles. And the two infield singles stood out because, as you may recall, Abrams this past Wednesday night in the Nats 3-2-10 inning walk-off win over the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park got in some trouble with the Nats manager Davey Martinez for not hustling on what ended up being a leadoff first pitch ground out in the bottom of the eighth inning. But Abrams had the three singles, including the two infield singles in the 13-4 win on Saturday afternoon. Uh, he did have that double <laughs> in the game on Sunday afternoon that I talked about earlier in this segment. But he had three errors over the first three games in this series. Abrams on Friday afternoon in a Phillies one-run six, a throwing error as he on a leadoff grounder by Nick Castellanos made a charging scoop of the ball behind second base, but then airmailed a way too high throw to first base. Uh, Abrams in the win on Saturday afternoon, top of the six, a two-out throwing error as he on a first-pitch grounder off the bat of Gene Segura made a nice charging stab of a chopper, but then threw way high and way wide 
of first baseman Joey Manessis. And then Abrams in a loss on Saturday night. Uh, he in a Phillies five-run third, a one-out fielding error as he bought the fielding of a grounder off the bat of Gene Segura. So some defensive sloppiness for C.J. Abrams. You know, I don't know how much of that had to do with the conditions over the weekend. Abrams overall has been very good defensively at shortstop, but uh, not his best work defensively over the weekend. Next up for the Nats, their final series of the 2022 regular season. Three games at the National League wildcard leading New York Mets, who just got swept in three games at the Atlanta Braves to fall to two games behind the Braves, who now are atop the National League East and in full control of the NL East. Game one at the Mets, Monday night at 7-10, Corey Abbott will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two at the Mets, Tuesday night at 7-10, Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three at the Mets, Wednesday afternoon at 4-10, Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. And you'll notice I did not mention Josiah Gray. He will not be starting a game for the Nats in this series, and his season now is done. He has been shut down for the season. Well, the Orioles over the weekend won two or three games at the American League East champion New York Yankees. Uh, The O's over the weekend did not give up a home run to Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge, meaning that he remains at 61 home runs and thus remains tied with Yankees great Roger Maris for the most home runs in a regular season in American League history, but the O's over the weekend were officially eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, Friday night, a 2-1 win. Saturday afternoon, an 8-0 loss. And Sunday afternoon, a 3-1 win. Uh, So the O's did get two wins in three games. The O's will have a winning record for the 2022 regular season as they now are 82 and 77 of having gotten back Joe Angel in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column, a first winning regular season for the O's since 2016. Now, the O's with their 2-1 win on Friday night improved to 81-76, and clinching their first non-losing regular season since 2016, but also on Friday night was the O's being officially eliminated from playoff contention thanks to wins by the Seattle Mariners and Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, This was unfortunate, but this was not unexpected. And of course, the bigger picture is that the Orioles season has been so much better than anyone could have ever realistically anticipated. The O's have joined. Are you ready for this? The 1899 St. Louis Perfectos and the 1890 Louisville Colonels as the only major league teams ever to finish 500 or better in a regular season after recording at least 110 losses in the prior regular season. You have to go back to the 1800s for the last time a team did as the O's have just done. You have to go back to the 1899 St. Louis Perfectos for the last time a team did what the O's have just done. The future for the O's is bright. As I have said for years with the rebuild, pain now, pleasure later. Well, the pleasure finally is arriving. And of course, a big part of the pleasure 
has been catcher Adley Rutschman. More good stuff from him on Sunday afternoon. He continues to make his case for American League Rookie of the Year. Rutschman on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting catcher at number two batter. Two for three with a double, a single, and two walks. He did commit a throwing error, but Adley Rutschman's OPS at the major league level for the 2022 regular season now is at 809, including a 361 on base percentage. Uh, Kyle Bradish on Sunday afternoon was pretty good. Bradish in the 3-1 win at the Yankees. One run unearned in five innings. The big nit to pick was that he issued five walks and a wild pitch, but he did record five strikeouts, and he only allowed three hits, a double, and two singles. Uh, Jordan Lyles in game one of this series was terrific. Lyles in that 2-1 win at the Yankees on Friday night. One run in seven innings, nine strikeouts, versus one walk. He gave up just four hits, a homer, and three singles. He threw a ton of strikes, 106 pitches, 72 strikes versus just 34 balls. Uh, Jordan Lyles now in this 2022 regular season, 32 starts and an ERA of 442. You know, Lyles is pitching for the O's on a one-year contract with a club option for 2023. Going to be interesting to see if the O's exercise that option. I wouldn't hate it if they did exercise the option. Uh, Next season will be his age 32 season, but you're only talking about a one-year option. Uh, Lyles is an innings eater by today's standards. He has been decent for the O's, you know, not great, but decent, and he certainly has had some really good starts. And the O's are going to try to contend next season. I mean, Orioles executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias has said that the O's are going to spend money this offseason. And I know we'll see, especially given the infighting of the Orioles ownership family, the Angelos family. But if the O's are trying to contend next season, having Jordan Lyles back on an affordable club option does make sense. And, you know, the O's could potentially trade him if things, for whatever reason, do not go well next season. Uh, Austin Voth in Game 2 at the Yankees did have a rare bad outing as an Oriole. Voth in the 8-0 loss at the Yankees on Saturday afternoon. Four runs in five innings. Gave up seven hits, two home runs, two doubles, and three singles. Issued two walks and two hit-by-pitches. He had three strikeouts. He threw 77 pitches, 49 strikes versus 28 balls, but still, for Austin Voth with the O's this season, 22 games, including 17 starts, 83 innings, an ERA of 3-0-4. Also, Nestor Cortez Jr., uh, I have to make mention of this. So, the O's in that 8 nothing loss at the Yankees on Saturday afternoon got dominated by Yankee starter and former Orioles pitcher Nestor Cortez Jr., He tossed seven and a third scoreless innings with 12 strikeouts versus two walks and just one hit, which was a single. Nestor Cortez Jr. now in the 2022 regular season, 28 starts, 158 into third innings, ERA at 244, a whip of 0.92. Nestor Cortez Jr. was one of three Rule 5 picks by the O's at the 2017 winter meetings. Uh, The O's in that 2017 Rule 5 draft actually took Cortez from the Yankees. Uh, Former Orioles executive vice president of baseball operations, Dan Duquette, used to love himself some Rule 5 picks. And one of the rules with a Rule 5 pick is that you have to keep the guy on your major league active roster for the entirety 
of the next season. Well, Nestor Cortez Jr. was terrible for the O's in 2018. He over four and two-thirds innings allowed four runs on 10 hits and four walks. The O's were trying to contend that season, even though the O's ended up being horrendous that season. They felt like they couldn't stash him, and so the O's in April 2018 designated Nestor Cortez Jr. for assignment. He then bounced around baseball, but he has blossomed in a third stint with the Yankees, who in January 2021 signed him as a free agent to a minor league contract. Uh, Cortez, last regular season, 93 major league innings for the Yankees, an ERA at 290. It really is something how this guy went from being unworthy of even being stashed on the Orioles roster in 2018 to now being one of the best pitchers in the sport. Nestor Cortez Jr. has blossomed for the Yankees over the last two years. Next up for the O's, their final series of the 2022 regular season, three games against the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Monday night at 7.05, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05, Mike Bauman will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 4.05. The O's have not yet named a starting pitcher for this game. Could be Jordan Lyles if he's good to go. Could also be Grayson Rodriguez, who per MLB pipeline is the number one pitching prospect in baseball and the number four overall prospect in baseball. Uh, Rodriguez did pitch for AAA Norfolk in September and has come back from a grade two right lat strain that he suffered on June 1st. I don't know that it's likely that the O's will call up Grayson Rodriguez to make his Major League regular season debut for this game on Wednesday afternoon, but this is plausible, so we shall see. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 413. We'll have much more on the commanders of them falling to one and three with their 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday afternoon. We, on Monday, will have the day after the game press conference of Commander's head coach Ron Rivera. Perhaps we'll find out more about the status of receiver Jahan Dodson. He hurt a hamstring in the game. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. The Nats on Monday night at 7-10 will begin game one of a three-game series at the National League wildcard leading New York Mets. The O's on Monday night at 7.05 will begin game one of a three-game series against the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. We hurt ourselves and took ourselves out of out of uh, certain opportunities. You know, we're early in the game, we're moving the ball, and we get a holding penalty. When, when those things happen, that really <laughs> that really messes things up. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.